The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash Florio and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash Florio, F-L-O-R-I-O. Thanks for your help. Find out you're going to be the starter for preseason. Uh, a few minutes before practice, you know, uh, coach let me know. Uh, I get to get to go out there and showcase what I'm able to do with the ones a little bit. And the you know, first NFL experience, you know, I'm excited for it. But you know, same rodeo, you know, just get to play ball again. One of the most exciting rookies for 2023, Anthony Richardson, ready to showcase his talent and his ability when he gets onto the field. The Colts trying to play some games with us, showing both Richardson and Gardner Minshew as the co-starters. Baloney. Bull crap. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, just maybe, it's another Urban Meyer clumsy effort to try to trade Gardner Minshew <laughs> because there's no way in hell Gardner Minshew is starting. Jim Irsay wants Anthony Richardson on the field. They want to see what this guy can do, and he needs the reps to get to his maximum ability. He hasn't played a whole lot of football, grand scheme of things. They need to get him to play and to play and to play and get the game to slow down. And once the game slows down for Anthony Richardson, that's when he's going to take off, Miles. Yeah, you know, Mike, I mean, I'd never seen that or on the depth chart before with the quarterback like that. So, I mean, I think that that's <laughs> wild that the Colts would do something like that, especially because it's something that the Jaguars did a couple of years yeah. ago with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and never Gardner seen it Minshew. before. I've never seen never it in seen my it life, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, what, what this reminds me of, Mike, is actually Trey Lance, because in a perfect world, this is what the 49ers would have been able to do when they picked him is just put him out there and play him a lot and make sure that he gets some sort of reps so that he gets ready because he needs to play football, right? 
And Anthony Richardson needs to play more football as a quarterback. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, this is how you develop. So yeah, I, I want to see Anthony Richardson get out there. I want to see him with the first team offensive line so that he can actually make some plays so that he can actually be protected, you know, and it's another one of those deals where it's like, all right, just get in and out of the huddle. Let's not have any pre-snap penalties. If the play is there, make it. If it's not, throw it away. Let's get back to the huddle and let's just go on to the next thing. And so I, I hope he's able to get that operation right because he really should be, as you said, one of the most exciting rookies that we've got in the NFL for 2023. He hit the nail on the head, though. When you're going to invest that much in a quarterback, especially if you trade up, like the 49ers did, full investment, three first-round picks and a third-round pick for that player. You can't do the half-measures thing. You can't yes. do the, well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get him ready you know, behind the scenes. And remember, there was this expectation two years ago that we were going to see Trey Lance packages, and I almost think Kyle Shanahan got irritated by it and said, the hell with it, I'm not going to do it. And Jimmy Garoppolo probably didn't like it either because, remember, after that season, he said, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I mean, he was the starting quarterback, and he said, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So you introduce a lot of tension into your established football apparatus when you have a starter that you intend to keep, but you make that kind of a move to bring in the next guy. That's where you have to take a step back from football and look at the human dynamics and realize we got a mess here. And you can't just work that Band-Aid off slowly. you got to rip that Band-Aid away, and you got to say, this is our guy, like the Colts are doing. And they have no equity with Gardner Minshew. He's new to the team. There isn't some incumbent guy there. This isn't like, well, we got to you know, placate Matt Ryan. Ryan's long gone. This is Anthony Richardson. They can play all the games they want on their depth chart, but it's Anthony Richardson, and that's the right way to do it. Otherwise, with the fourth overall pick in the draft, you take somebody else. Yes. Yes, exactly. And look, I mean, Gardner Minshew knows Shane Steichen from their shared time with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that probably helps Anthony Richardson because he knows the system, right? He understands what the verbiage is. And so, you know, when you're player to player, you can sometimes help guys out in a way that coaches to player can't necessarily do it. And that's just the way it is. And I think that that's a good thing to have somebody who is willing to be that kind of mentor. And everything that I've read and seen and heard from Gardner Minshew out of Indianapolis has basically been really supportive of Anthony Richardson. So that's also a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think at this point, it seems like the Colts are taking the right approach with the guy in Anthony Richardson. And I think he's in a good situation with Shane Steichen because we've seen it in recent years, right? He helps develop Justin Herbert. He helps develop Jalen Hurts. I, that, to me, I, I don't know if you're in a better spot with a better mentor than a guy like that. And we can only hope that after Anthony Richardson's preseason debut, when he's meeting with reporters, one of the reporters asks him about Gardner Minshew for his impressions on the veteran. And his response is, smells like cigarettes. We can only hope. <laughs> we can only hope. That's a very, very inside joke for those of you who watched PFTPM a couple of years ago wow. oh, yeah. uh, and something that Miles and I mentioned to each other from time to time. Okay, Jordan Love, smelling like cheese in Green Bay. He, uh, he's getting ready to play, and here he is on preparing to take some hits on the football field. Yeah, yeah, just to get that, that feeling of being back out there, getting live reps, um, I definitely think it's important. Jordan, where, where do you think that? 
not that you want to get hit, but do you, do you need that as a quarterback to, to take a shot or two? Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's always good to get back in that mode of, of getting hit. I mean, I haven't been hit since last year, um, but obviously you know, I'm never trying to get hit. That's never the goal. Um, but, I mean, it does prepare you and get, just get your mind back in that live mentality. Boy, Peter King made on this program last week, and he also wrote about it in his latest Football Morning in America column, which you can find at profootballtalk.com. A point that Teddy Bridgewater made last year is Tua Tonga-Vailoa was getting hit and getting hurt. The quarterback is in bubble wrap all through the offseason, all through training camp, sparingly used in the preseason. And all of a sudden, here comes week one, and they're out there getting hit. And they're not used to getting hit. So there is a balance. There mm-hmm. is value in getting hit, but the more you get hit, the more likely you get hurt. And every time you take that hit, just look at Jimmy Garoppolo. Every time you take that hit, you kind of got to hold your breath and say, is he going to be able to keep going? So you don't want to take so many hits that the math works out in a favor that or in the way that something's going to happen and you're not going to be available week one. Uh, that That's the balance that Jordan Love needs to be aware of. Yes, but I also think that we have to have a different standard for Jordan Love getting hit than some of these other first-year starters that we're kind of talking about, right? Because Jordan Love's entering his fourth year. So presumably, he understands things and he's seen things because he has started games that guys that are just coming into the league don't know about, right? So you have to be able to use that experience to avoid the hits, right? I mean, yeah, you're not going to be able to avoid every single hit, And frankly, you shouldn't be out there all that much anyway because they've had joint practices with Cincinnati. So it's not like I think he needs all that many preseason reps, even though, yeah, he needs to play. But this is a guy where at this point you need to show from jump that you are a franchise quarterback. He needs to go out there and look like he shouldn't be out there. You know what I mean by that? You know, like this is a guy where it's like, okay, you're playing in the preseason. Yeah, but Matt, you you look like you're too good for this. Like, why are you playing here? Like, you just need one drive where maybe you go down the field efficiently and you put points on the board, whether it's a field goal or touchdown, and then get the hell out of there. But that's what he needs to show, that he can run everything efficiently. And it's not just get in and out of the huddle. It's, no, get to the ball and make a play. I, I don't need you to do be Superman or be a superhero or whatever, but avoid the hits that you need to avoid. Show your pocket presence. Deliver the ball accurately and on time. And if you can do that, great. But he should not really look anything like is skittish or whatnot. This is year four. You got to know what you're doing. Well, and here's the other big difference. Big. He's much bigger than some of these other guys we worry about getting hit <laughs> and getting hurt. We had Peter King talking to Bryce Young earlier in the week, and they were eye to eye. The next day it was Peter King talk, talking to Jordan Love. And it was not eye to eye. And it was a stark contrast between the size of Love and the size of guys like Bryce Young and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. So that's the big caveat that applies to this be careful about getting hit. The larger you are, the more you're going to withstand it. For the smaller guys, the physics are working against you. So when you do get dragged to the ground, when you get pulled, it's going to be a more violent end for the guy that doesn't weigh very much and it's going to be the kind of play where you know to the untrained eye oh that must be a penalty 
Why isn't that a penalty? That should be a penalty. Well, it's not a penalty because the guy weighs, you know, south of 200 pounds. And when an NFL-sized defensive lineman pulls him to the ground, that's what happens. When it's Josh Allen... When it's Ben Roethlisberger, that's not what happens. When it's right. guy who is six foot or less and you know two hundred pounds after he's eaten Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner all in one sitting, that's what you get. So that's why Jordan Love, you have less of a concern if you're a Packers fan about him getting hit. Let's go ahead and take a break. We've mentioned Peter King many times. It's not it's not right to talk about someone when they're not around. He is around. Hey. There he is. Peter joins us next here on PFT Live. Hey, if you're going to throw out a first pitch, this this is the way to do it. If you're a football guy, Peter King, Quad Cities River Bandits, and there it is. Peter, I thought you were left-handed. Aren't you left-handed? No. Do you write left-handed and I throw write, right-handed? I write left-handed, yes. And, well, that would explain uh, the right-handed I throw. I throw badly right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a yeah. strike. The guy still should have caught it. It was catchable. It was a strike. It doesn't ha- Hey, yeah. knuckleball doesn't knuckleball. spin in a pretty fashion, yeah. but it still hits the strike zone. So uh, yeah. that was hey, the Quad Cities River Band. Quad City River Band. Davenport, We had a good Iowa. time. Davenport, Iowa. That's part of the training camp tour allure. Nice. Well, you have been going at it for a few weeks now. Currently, you're in Missouri covering the Kansas City Chiefs, not that far away, the Green Bay Packers. We were talking earlier about Jordan Love, his desire to get some contact in the preseason. Um, I was taken aback, Peter, when we played earlier this week your your conversation with Jordan Love, how big he is. What was your impression about how he looked when you saw him practice? Well, two things. Number one, he is a big guy. He uses his mobility a lot in the pocket, the practice I saw. Um, And I believe there's no question early on he's going to run more than Aaron Rodgers did. In the last three years, Aaron Rodgers averaged two runs per game. I think uh, Jordan Love is going to double that at the very least. Now, they don't want him just naturally running the ball, but he's a bigger guy. But I'll tell you, here's the thing that impressed me, and I'm not, I don't know whether it's a positive or a negative, but, you know, when they talked about getting Jordan Love prepared for this season, one of the things that Matt LaFleur told me, he said, look, it goes all the way down to the cadence. When I had Aaron Rodgers, obviously he's one of the best guys at the cadence of all time. You don't need to do a lot of work with him on his cadence. It's He's fantastic. But starting this year, we have worked on the cadence a lot with Jordan Love. And it's hard to get a guy to be able to have the confidence to go up to the line of scrimmage and do the hut, 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 because he thinks he's going to draw his own guys off, uh, you know, to, into a false start. So that was the thing that Rodgers did expertly. And I only bring that up, not because it's that big a deal, but it's an idea. There's a hundred things they're working on to try to get Jordan Love up to speed. And how about this, Mike? They're doing it, His probably his first, five receivers that he throws the ball to two tight ends 
three wideouts probably are all going to have been drafted since last year. There are none of them are 25 yet. So, you know, I, I chuckle when I hear that all oh, the Packers aren't rebuilding. We don't rebuild. The Packers are rebuilding totally. They're they're doing it from the studs up. Well, Peter, I I mean, does anything else matter with the Packers other than Jordan Love? I mean, because it seems like that's all you need to know about this year with that team is is it going to work with Jordan Love or not? Is that your impression? Yeah, I mean. They need to have a very good idea by the end of this year whether Jordan Love is the quarterback of the future or not. I'm not saying that uh, they're ready if he has a bad year to get rid of him, but this year is all about the maturation and development of Jordan Love, and that's the way the Packers are. You know, I said to Brian Gutekunst the other day, the GM, I said the Green Bay Packers are a continuum. You always worry about the future with this team. And I think a lot of people have said over the years, well, wait a minute, they they always tried to load up with Farvin Aaron Rodgers and all that. And I said, they don't have Farvin Aaron Rodgers now. They're developing a new quarterback, so it's a good time for them, they feel, to develop a lot of other players alongside him. And that's the way they're approaching this year. And look. They're going to do ultimately what they're going to do. Every football team makes the decisions they make in the best interest of the team. But they owe it to be patient to Jordan Love, Peter, because he's been incredibly patient with them. He's kept his mouth shut. He's caused no trouble. He's just been the bystander in all that ugly crap between the front office and Aaron Rodgers. He never asked for a trade. He never made a ruckus. He's waited patiently for his chance. They need to give him a couple of years before they would pull the plug on him. What do you think of that? I think it's a, I could, unless he is absolutely awful this year, he's definitely got two years. No question about it. But Mike, I think what you just said is the re- one of the reasons why at their family night scrimmage last Saturday in Lambeau Field, 70,000 people, they gave him a 12-second ovation. And I think when you see that, and I just saw video of it, I was not there. When you see that, you just say, this is a, this is a crowd. This is a fan base that was ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. This is a fan base that wants something new and wants somebody who is all in. And that's what they have with Jordan Love. Well, I can't necessarily say I blame them, especially after what was going on there over the last two years. Hey, let's take it to another NFC North team that we know you visited, and that's the Bears. And Peter, they got DJ Moore now. They picked him up in that big trade to go down from number one overall, what do you think his impact is going to be with that team and with Jordan and with Justin Fields? You know, Miles, just watching one practice, you can tell what the bears expect out of DJ Moore and what I think he'll deliver. Now, DJ Moore is not a big receiver. Uh, he doesn't really look that much different from your average receiver in the NFL. But I will tell you this, the one thing that he's displayed in the first couple of weeks of training camp is he does not lose 50-50 balls. He knows exactly the subtle things that a receiver has to do to get open. 
and the little push-offs and <laughs> excuse me. And the the practice I saw, he made two catches of deep balls from Justin Fields where he was blanketed by a corner. And that is what the Bears really need. They've got the deep threat in in Darnell Mooney, and they've got probably more of a possession receiver in Chase Claypool. I think this guy will quickly become Justin Fields' uh, favorite target. One other thing I'll say about the Bears, that I think right now the way you look at this team is that they're also in rebuilding mode. And Justin Fields, I think, has to show significantly more this year than Jordan Love has to show because the, the, the current staff didn't draft Justin Fields. He's got to prove to them that he's going to be the long-term quarterback. He knows that. Uh, Ryan Poles knows that. Matt Eberfuss knows that, the GM and coach. So that is the sense I got from there. But he is in a lot better position this year to do that and also for the first time in forever justin fields is in the same offense two years in a row i think that's important the long-term quarterback in cleveland whether they like it or not is deshaun watson thanks to his contract peter was in cleveland talking to coach kevin stefanski here's a little bit of stefanski on his quarterback deshaun watson what would you say one year ago to today is the difference in both Deshaun Watson and in coaching Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I, I would hope that all of us, Deshaun, myself, all of us are just getting better every year. One, one more lap around the sun that we're all getting better as players, as coaches, as people. Uh, as everybody knows, he's in a different place. Uh, he, he worked really hard on himself, both off the field and on the field. Uh, and then continuing for us from a football perspective to to con- maximize the talents of our key players. And, and certainly that quarterback is a important piece of what we do. So maximizing Deshaun's talents along with uh, what we feel are some really good players on the offensive side of the ball. Easy to say, harder to do, Peter. What did you see from Deshaun Watson during your visit to Browns camp? You know, uh, I think, like, you know, Miles Garrett told me, and I think he summed it up well, that here's a guy who is in his first year with a new team. He is the uh, the headline all year in the NFL for all the wrong reasons. Uh, he is away from the team for two and a half months, and he shows up and, oh, by the way, first game he plays is in Houston. Uh, and he said, how, how would you expect somebody like that to play? You know, and he didn't play well over the last six weeks. We all saw it. And I think we're going to get a true sense of who Deshaun Watson is. Deshaun 2, I guess you'd say, or QB 2, or whatever the cliche would be. That now we're going to see the kind of quarterback that, you know, who's working harder than he worked in Houston. I think late in Houston, he had really checked out. And I think now you're going to see him play a little bit better as a, a receiver. He is really bonded with there and Elijah Moore. I think one of the big questions is how are the Browns fans overall going to react? And I think, you know, we might all just shake our heads about it, but I think the Browns fans are going to be very supportive. As somebody with the organization told me when I was there, I said, listen, 
We had 93% season ticket renewals, which is above the league average. We raised prices on our seats and we've sold out all our games for this year. So what does that tell you about our fans? Our fans, you know, whether they've forgiven or not, they're ready to move on and watch football. Yeah, as a native Clevelander, I can tell you, I know that the uh, the passion that people have for that team is unmatched. And, you know, I, I still carry some of it with me, I guess, as well. But, you know, you mentioned talking to Miles Garrett, Peter, and, and I'm interested this year in the Browns and Jim Schwartz, because I think there might be another yeah. gear that Jim Schwartz can get out of Miles Garrett. What, what's your impression of what he could do for that defense? I think that's a great point, Miles. I think Jim Schwartz was a great hire. <coughs> he is rejuvenated now after being away from football for a bit. Uh, the players really have bonded with him early on. I could tell talking to a couple of defensive players. So I think that was a really good addition for them. And I think, I think really more than anything, the Browns, I got this sense, man. They're, they're tired of being a sideshow. Yeah, they just are. I think no matter how they're going to be treated on the road at home or wherever, uh, they just want to play football. And we'll see how it goes. But I get the sense that Watson has a chance to be significantly better, just not marginally better. And if he isn't, uh, the Browns uh, sign one of the worst contracts ever in the NFL. Colts owner Jim Irsay provided us some entertainment a couple of weeks ago with the scud missiles he was firing in the direction of running back Jonathan Taylor. It's calmed down for the most part, even though at last word Taylor was off-site rehabbing his ankle. How do you think this resolves itself, Peter, between the Colts and their, their star running back? Chris Ballard's a very smart general manager. He's one of the best in the league, and he understands that the most important thing now is to turn the temperature down. So in the last week or so, you haven't seen or heard anybody talk about Jonathan Taylor, positive or negative. Hey, we'll see what happens. Whatever it is they're saying, it's nothing. And I think the Colts realize that they need to just, everybody needs to shut up. Let's get the temperature down on this thing. And then when it, when it does go down, we're going to approach this and see if we could solve it for the season. Mike, I think they'll find a way to get it solved for this season. I don't really remember the last time that the Colts really wanted somebody to continue on their team and couldn't figure a way to do it financially. Uh, I think they're going to figure it out, and I think Jonathan Taylor will be in that lineup. And they need him in the early stages of Anthony Richardson's career because – they need to take as much heat off of their young quarterback as they possibly can. Peter, thanks as always for some of your time. We look forward to having you for the full two hours on one of these upcoming Fridays. For now, though, safe travels. Enjoy the training camp tour, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. There he is, Peter King. When we return, front sevens in the NFL that you do not want to mess with. That's our draft on this Friday edition of PFT Live. We'll be right back. Like I was telling uh, Shaq, uh, this is the best group I've been around as far as I can trust the guys when they're in the game. Like, I, they, they know football. I've been on teams where you couldn't really trust the guy behind me, and I have to play, like, the whole game. 
This, or being around these guys, I know with the rotation, everybody can eat. Everybody gonna eat. Leonard Floyd, Bill's pass rusher. I mean, he was on the Rams at one point, so, you know. He's been around well, Aaron Donald. That's just one point. Like, yeah. that was two years ago. I mean, he yeah. was just so, there. He just won he the has Super a ring. Bowl with that team. He has a, he has a oh. ring to remind him. There's the, yeah, there's the Bills That he was playing next seven. to Aaron Donald and Von Miller, who is on the team he's on now. But Von Miller's coming back from the ACL. So, yeah, that's uh, okay. That, that one's interesting. He was talking about depth, though, too. And there's I definitely guess. depth there, considering he's second string behind Greg Russo. But, you know, the great front sevens have a rotation of guys that are constantly coming in. While the offensive line is gassed, you've got fresh, fresh, fresh pass rushers who are relentless. That's how you put together a great defense. That's what the Eagles have done in their best years over the past several seasons. And that's what the Bills are trying to do. So I get it. And if you keep your guys healthy, it works. Last year, it got short-circuited when they lost Von Miller for the year after a Thanksgiving Day knee injury against the Lions. Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, also, look, they keep having to bring in different guys with their pass rush. So, I mean, they didn't sign Floyd until, you know, June when they're almost in minicamp. So, I mean, the depth there is a little bit questionable to me. I don't know if it's really someplace where everybody's going to eat. You know, we have to still see that and they still have to prove it. I think there's still going to be a good defense. You know, Leslie Frazier, whatever happened there, he's not there anymore. But Sean McDermott knows how to coach defense and he's going to be calling the plays. So, I mean, I, I think that, that's all right. That's fine. But they still have some work to do until I'm going to say that they're one of the best front sevens. Well, what happened there was somebody had to be the scapegoat for last year and it ended up being the defensive coordinator, plain and simple oh, with that yeah. weird delayed reaction, well, stepping aside when he was actually shoved. The whole thing was weird and it just adds more pressure that's what I mean. to McDermott this year because he's, he's taken over the defense this year. He's in charge of the defense and the team and uh, not always an easy assignment when you're in the micro of calling one side of the ball and the macro of trying to run the whole team. So it's it's degree of difficulty a little higher for McDermott this year than last year. Yes, absolutely. No doubt. And that's one of the things that I think puts pressure on Buffalo. And maybe it's why we're seeing a little weird stuff coming out of there. I mean, the, the, the McDermott stuff on Diggs thing, that's another whatever happened there is still very weird to me. And it's one Nothing of those to see examples here. where the head Nothing. coach don't even talk about mouth. it. Yeah, Don't even mention well, it. Nothing to see yes, here. I know. Yeah, it's only that the head coach says he's very concerned about a top five wide receiver in the league in the middle of June. So we're not supposed concerned to react to players. that at all. And it's all our fault that we're reacting to something the head coach says at the podium. Yes, I understand. Yeah, there's nothing to see there. Right. How dare we? How dare we, Miles? What, what gives us the right to point out bizarre activity and comment on it? How dare how, who do we think we are that we should point out know. to the audience so that something really freaking weird happened? How, <laughs> what, 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 I mean, why are we doing that? Why, why are we trying to cause trouble for the Buffalo Bills? Nobody circles the know. wagons like the Buffalo Bills uh, and hides what goes on in between the wagon circle like the Buffalo Bills. All right. Front sevens you don't want to mess with. That's today's draft. Miles, you have the first pick. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I would go with the San Francisco 49ers because as we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, they've got a bunch of ass kickers on that defense. And even with Nick Bosa, you know, going through the holdout right now, I expect that to be resolved sooner than later. And, and you know, when you've got a, a, a team that's got Nick Bosa and, and Fred Warner leading your front seven, that's a damn good front seven. And that's one I don't want to mess with. And they go out and they get Javon Hargrove too. You know, that's something that's really, really interesting that maybe is a little bit underrated there. Even though they lose D'Amico Ryans from coordinating that defense, they go out and they get Steve Wilkes, a guy who knows how to use those four-man fronts and be really aggressive. I don't think that the 49ers are going to take much of a step back, if any step back at all defensively, and that's in large part due to that awesome front seven that they've got. Now, point of clarification, are we talking about we don't want to mess with them and that we don't want to have to block them? Or are we talking about don't want to mess with them and that we don't want to have to fight them? Is it either? I mean, Is it, it be both? both? Is it neither? I guess it can be both. I, All right. Why I not I feel both? like it's both, right? Not, if you don't want to block not, them, then you also both? don't want to fight them. I don't really want to fight well, Nick Bosa unless I'm in no. Montgomery. And, and this thing about the uh, – the 49ers, John Lynch, I believe, has an innate skill of finding guys who play the way he played. He sees something in them that reminds him of himself, whether it's George Kittle mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball or any of the defensive players that no hesitation run through the brick wall, even knowing that the brick wall sometimes might win These guys roll out of bed and kick your ass. And you're right. The 49ers, a great choice by you. Uh, I'm going to go with the team up the road for me, the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially because I wouldn't want to mess with Cam Hayward, regardless of whoever else is around, like T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. But you look at those guys and traditionally what the strength of that team has been, and I think if that team's going to be successful this year, we talk so much about the offense and can the line hold up and can Kenny Pickett get the ball to George Pickens and what can Najee Harris do? That's all well and good. But that team is only going to thrive in a highly competitive AFC North and AFC generally if that defense can slow down some of the great offenses. And that means get pressure on the quarterback. That means keep T.J. Watt healthy and let him go do his thing. When he's healthy, the Steelers' defense is one of the very best in the entire NFL. I would not want to mess with those guys anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Certainly not. I I wouldn't either. And, you know, you don't count Minka Fitzpatrick as a part of the front seven, really. But sometimes you kind of can, just given the fact that, you know, really it's almost front sixes now are your base defense and the way that Fitzpatrick can go up and he can go back and he can play different spots. Like, I almost count him as a part of that even though he's technically a safety because of all the great things he can do. So, I mean, that's a defense generally that I would not want to mess with, but you left one on the board. Not that the Steelers were a bad pick, but this pick is the one that I would absolutely want next. That's the Philadelphia Eagles, man. I mean, you just kind of mentioned them at the top there with how well they do when it comes to that front and rotating guys in and out, keeping guys fresh. You've got the elder statesmen of Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. They're still there. You got Hassan Reddick. He did had a great year last year. You had Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter up the middle. You know, you get those dudes in the mix. I don't want to fight those guys. I don't want to block those guys. We know how effective they can be. And they've got a new defensive coordinator in Sean Desai, but I, I think that they still are going to be one of those really, really productive units. 
And look, that would have been my next pick. And you look at that depth chart. It really is jarring when you see all those names and the guys who are second string and they keep bringing them in. They keep them fresh. And by the time, you know, the game wears on and those offensive linemen are worn out, they're still ready to go. And they just keep plugging them in and plugging them in and they get it done. I'll go now with a team that we focus on very much as it relates to the offense, the Miami Dolphins. That defense has the potential, even with the Jalen Ramsey injury. That front seven, especially with Vic Fangio there, getting them stirred Mm -hmm. up and getting them schemed up. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, if he can fulfill his full potential. Bradley Chubb, good Lord. uh, And all the other guys they have. That defense could be, you know, much, much better than we give it credit for, especially with Fangio there now taking over. Uh, And balance is what we're looking for in the NFL. And the Dolphins could end up being one of the most balanced teams this year, even with that great offense. That defense steps up, and the Dolphins are going to be a force to be reckoned with. So, no, I don't want to mess with the Miami Dolphins' front seven. I I wouldn't either, and I think that you're on to something with Vic Fangio going to that team and going to that defense. Because, look, that's, that's a coordinator upgrade that really is significant. You know, I look at there uh, for the Dolphins. I look to the Vikings where you get Brian Flores in there. The Browns, as we were mentioning in the last segment, you get Jim Schwartz. Like those are significant coordinator upgrades that could really make a difference just based on what the scheme is and utilizing the personnel that you have to the best of your ability. So that's one where I, I, I look at it and I agree with you there. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on this next one with one that's kind of dominated by one player and it's the Cowboys because look, when you've got a Micah Parsons running kind of your defense and being this guy that is as good as he is, that makes the front seven so much better around him. And I say that with apologies to Aaron Donald, who is somebody that I have been around and is technically in the same County as me. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to run into him right now after I say something like this, but look, if you've got Micah Parsons and you also have DeMarcus Lawrence, that to me really elevates this to where the Cowboys can be one of those teams where you're kind of afraid of the front seven and you don't necessarily want to mess with them. When you started down that path, I thought you were going Rams. One guy leads the way. And I don't care who else is around for the Rams. As long as Aaron Donald is there, I don't want to mess with those guys. Even if the other six consist of a group that would count me and you. Even if it's me and you. I don't want to mess with that front seven because I got to get through Aaron Donald. I'm going to go in a different direction, though, since we've already talked about that. How about the Ravens? Not because of any one specific player. There is no Terrell Suggs. There is no Ray Lewis. There is no Peter Bolware. But each and every year, by the time we get to December, even if we think, oh, the Ravens defense is down, oh, the Ravens defense isn't what it's been in the past. By the end of December, like, the Ravens defense is pretty damn good. They're pretty good. They'll kick your ass. That's, there's just that mentality. It's just part of putting on that helmet and that uniform. You transform into somebody that no one wants to mess with. The Ravens are the personification of that. They've got that history, that tradition, and John Harbaugh knows how to coach it into whoever his guys are in any given year. And it helps to have Roquan Smith, who got a huge contract and earned every penny of it, and Patrick Queen, who's now trying to get his own from the Ravens or somewhere else. But there's just something about that Ravens defense that no matter what they look like on paper, they will kick your ass. 
Yeah, Mike McDonald did a good job with that group uh, last year. And and yeah, I don't think that that's going to be any different. It just is kind of baked into their DNA. Honestly, you could say a couple of the other NFC North teams too. I mean, the Bengals with what they've got up front, Trey Hendrickson, uh, they just gave linebacker a new contract. So it's not like their slouches up front with Lou Anarumo coordinating that defense. You know, the Browns have a good front four. I don't necessarily know about the linebackers behind them, but Miles Garrett, you had Zedarius Smith to that. They just signed Shelby Harris, Dom Thomas. Like that, that's another front where it's like, I don't really want to mess with anybody that looks like a uh, Miles Garrett. That, that, no, absolutely not. Pretty good draft. Pretty good group we got there. It was fun. We're going to have a little more fun when we return because Tyreek Hill, for some reason, obsessed with becoming the first guy in NFL history to have 2,000 receiving yards. He won't quit talking about it. So what do we do in the media? We talk about the things that the people talk about. We'll talk about that next year on PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Tyreek Hill has listed his top five receivers of all time. Antonio Brown, Torrey Holt, Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss. I assume that's Randy Moss. I'm not familiar with Randy Miss. And Terrell Owens. So, uh, one, one slight admission, omission, admission, something mission, permission, permission to be completely wrong about what I was saying. Jerry Rice, what the hell? How do you not have? And, and, and this is an example of, I think, Tyreek Hill – you know, knows of Antonio Brown. Like, Jerry Rice was long gone by the time Tyreek Hill's playing, paying attention to the NFL. So, you know, it's, it's like me talking about Don Hudson. So I guess I get it. But when Jerry Rice has all the records and has had all the records and will continue to have all the records, it's kind of hard to overlook Jerry Rice. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big oversight. And, you know, usually when you see lists of guys and you're like, how could you leave that guy off? And it's like, well, if there's a name that you left off, then who do you replace? To me, that one's really easy. 
Antonio Brown by Randy Moss. Hello. That one's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, and really, is he too young to know about Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice is still on stuff. He's on commercials and whatnot. I mean, when I was growing up, and I am a little bit older than Tyreek Hill, I mean, he was at the end of his career and he was with the Raiders. And I remember one time being like, you know, when I was a kid, like, oh man, like Jerry Rice, he's this great Raiders receiver. My mom looked at me and he's like, no, he was a 49ers wide receiver. Like, and that's where he did his work. So, you know, don't get that wrong when you start talking to people because then I'll be embarrassed. So thank you, mom, for educating me on football properly. Jerry Rice was so ridiculously dominant. That 1987 season he had strike shortened, his stats were off the charts, unstoppable. He would catch the ball in stride, and part of it was, and there was that great debate, is it Joe Montana, is it Jerry Rice? I mean, he would just run his route, and the ball would appear. He never had to, to and not even break stride. He didn't even have to bat an eye, and the ball hit him, and he just went. He was gone, and uh, he was phenomenal. And there was just a fluidity to his movement, the way he was put together, the way he just, the way he did his thing in relation to the rest of the players, it just felt different. It looked different. All those old highlights are out there, and you can just see there was something different about Jerry Rice. He's clearly one of the top five all-time. He was regarded as the GOAT at any position. The all-time, It was like 20 years, 25 years, maybe longer. Tom Brady yeah. became the GOAT of GOATs. It was Jerry Rice. Like the, the best player of all time at any position is Jerry Rice. Until Tom Brady got to six or seven, then it's like, okay, maybe it's Brady. But, but, yeah, Rice stands alone by way of talent and by way of what he did with his talent. Moss could have been the GOAT, but he didn't get the most out of his God-given ability. Terrell Owens is right up there. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, you, 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 Antonio Brown out, Jerry Rice in. That was easy. And I would also take Terry, Torrey Holt out and put Marvin Harrison or Holt's teammate Isaac Bruce in instead of Torrey Holt. All due respect to Torrey Holt. I, I mean, I, I really like Torrey Holt. I mean, I think he is one of the best receivers of his generation. There's an argument to be made that at some points he was better than Isaac Bruce. But yeah, Isaac Bruce is the one with the, the, the number retired for the Rams. So, I mean, yeah, those two dudes, though, were both absolutely dominant in the heyday of the greatest show on turf, you know, for the then St. Louis Rams. So it's not like either of those dudes were slouches. I, but I, frankly, I love Torrey Holt. He, he's one of my favorite receivers that I ever got to watch when I was growing up. And the Rams have some relevance to the other side of what we're talking about as it relates to Tyreek Hill, because he continues to be obsessed with getting to 2,000 yards, even though they don't give out Lombardi trophies, they don't give out rings, they don't give out any team recognition for one guy having 2,000 yards. He said, the quarterback play that we have is amazing. As you can see, Tua has been delivering. I feel like all training camp and the way that our head coach and our OC designs plays for us is ridiculous. My job is really easy. I just got to stay healthy. I just got to keep my attention to detail and just know where to be on the field at all times for my quarterback. Then I'll be able to make those plays to get to where I want to be at, which is 2,000 yards. That's something he said on the NFL Network. Miles, this explains why he's no longer a chief. Now, I know the money mm -hmm. had something to do with it, but during the 2021 season, where he had a career high in targets, career high, he wasn't happy that he wasn't getting the ball enough. He was low-key, behind the scenes, a pain in the ass, for the Chiefs and disrupted what they were trying to do, I believe, because he was obsessed with Cooper Cup. 
I think that's what happened. He saw the year that Cooper Cup was having. He saw Cooper Cup on track to have 2,000 yards. And he'd think, why, that should be me. Why isn't that me? I want the ball as much as Cooper Cup's getting the ball. I don't care that I'm getting the ball more than I ever have in my career. Every game, I want 10 targets. Every game, I want eight catches. Every game, I want 150. I should be the one threatening Calvin Johnson's all-time yardage record, not Cooper Cup. I think that what Cooper Cup was doing that year caused something to misfire in Tyreek Hill's brain and get him focused on the wrong thing. And if you're focused on your own achievements in a team sport, you are necessarily focused, Miles, on the wrong thing. I mean, yeah, that's true. But look, if Tyreek Hill's getting 2,000 yards, then that probably means that the Miami Dolphins are scoring a lot of points, which then also means that they're probably winning games, especially based on what we were just saying about what we think that defense could be. So I I don't necessarily think that this is the best thing to focus on either. And I also don't know that it's the most realistic thing to focus on because, look, they still have Jalen Waddle, you know, and Mike McDaniel has talked about wanting to run the ball more and run the ball more effectively and if you do that you're controlling games in a different way so I don't know that Tyreek Hill is going to be able to get to 2,000 yards I understand wanting to do that and being a competitor and wanting to be the best that ever was and all these different kinds of things you know that's something that nobody's ever done before to me I kind of get it but I also think if you're Mike McDaniel if you're Tua Tungavailoa you can't let what he says dictate what it is that you're going to do once you get between the white lines, right? You've got to do what's best for the team and what's going to help you win games. And so if defenses are starting to, you know, flow toward Tyreek Hill, you got other weapons like a Jalen Waddle, who is very, 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 very good. Utilize him in the same sort of way. Jalen Waddle led the league in yards per reception last year, at just over 18 yards per catch. That guy's not a slouch. They don't necessarily need Tyreek Hill to be a 2,000-yard guy to win. Anytime you have a player on your offense, especially a receiver, that has this personal goal and has an expressor-implied expectation that the ball is going to come his way, that potentially affects the performance of your team. That was one of the issues with the Kansas City Chiefs. The offense was being too skewed toward Tyreek Hill. And part of it was, too, because Tyreek Hill was open deep a lot. Patrick Mahomes wanted to take those deep shots, and he was resisting running the offense and working it mm-hmm. the way Andy Reid and Eric Bannemi had designed it. And look what happened. Mm-hmm. You remove Tyreek Hill, and you win a Super Bowl. Now, look, there's a lot more that goes into it, but I think that Tyreek Hill and his desire for more, more targets, more catches— more yards, more fame, more notoriety. You know, he tries to deny it now, but I really do think one of the reasons he also wanted out of Kansas City, that was Mahomes' team. He wants to go somewhere where he's the guy. And the Dolphins are all in with it in theory, but if they're going to be as good of a team as they can be, Miles, you're absolutely right. You can't have Tua with all the other stuff he's got to worry about this year, starting with avoiding the kind of contact that results in in head injuries. You don't want Mm -hmm. him staring down Tua when he should be thinking, when do I get rid of this football? And if I got a guy on the other side of the field who's open, instead of waiting for Tyree Kill because he's going to be upset because he's no longer on pace for 2,000 yards, and I hold the ball just long enough that I get thrown to the ground and I get another concussion, that's not good for the Dolphins. So this is where I think it's, it's imperative for someone in that organization to find a way, and this may not be easy to do, to approach Tyreek Hill and explain to him how 
his open desire, his zeal, his passion to have 2,000 yards can be counterproductive to what that team is trying to do. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense. I mean, but you don't want to shut the passion off, though, right? You know, you, you want to strike that balance. It is a threading of the needle, if you will, where you have a guy who wants to be as productive as possible, and that's motivating him, right? And that is good because you want motivated players. You know, volunteers, not hostages, as Mike Tomlin likes to say. But you also don't want it to be so out there, you know, what the goal that the individual goals are that it takes away from what the team goal is, which is hoisting the Lombardi. I mean, again, if the Dolphins are going to be good, then Tyreek Hill is going to be really productive, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill is probably going to be one of the top five, if not top three players in targets, receptions, and yards if all goes well and he stays healthy. And he talked about it, you know, I got to stay healthy and then da 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 But I don't know if the end of the sentence where it's like, so I can get 2000 yards. Like that's where I, I kind of agree with you, Mike, where it's like, that's where it's maybe a little bit counterproductive and everything else you say, where you're motivated and you want to win and you want to be a part of it and you want to help get that. A, like, that's great. But let's, let's try to strike that balance a little bit more of what it is that we want to do as a team versus what it is that you want to accomplish, even though, yeah, I, I get it that as a competitor, that's something you want to do. And I think the big picture guidance and advice for Tyree Kill as he continues to mature, he's not quite 30 years old yet. There's a difference between the goals that you talk about and the goals that you keep to yourself. Yeah. And the 2,000 yards, that's one that falls into the category of personal goals you just keep to yourself. The team goal is what you should be talking about and aspiring to achieve. But you're right. You don't want to take away the guy's passion. And passion's a key word because some of us, including me, have a passion for eating a lot of food. Some of us apparently don't have a passion for eating. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of the episode. That boy is a P-I-G pig. <laughs> <laughs> Say something nice about the Giants. Say something nice about the Lions. I ain't got nothing. Uh, I like their logo. They the Giants. They got some cool uniforms. They got cool uniforms. Well, they Giants. The Lion is my favorite animal. Shout out to my dog Xavier McKinney, man. That cool. KP, love you, brother. Billy Sims. I grew up in Flint. Billy Sims is my guy. He even recruited me to go to Oklahoma. Josh Pascal, love you, bro. Little Giants is one of my favorite football movies. One of my favorite movies is the Lion King. Great competition today. Momo, number 33, one of my favorite teammates of all time. They got my SC brother over there. I'm around St. Brown. One hour later. They got my boy from the Midwest, J-Mo. Two hours later. They got one of my former teammates, Khalid. Those my guys. Three weeks later. Thank you, Dorsey. Many months later. Shout out to the OG, the true Detroit line, Dick LeBeau, man. Hall of Famer. I like y'all got y'all name on the back of y'all uniform. Y'all, y'all color blue. <laughs> y'all, y'all, that's cool color. <laughs> yeah, it would say something nice, not some things nice. But you know what? That's a smart way to set the right tone for these joint practices because sometimes, sometimes it gets a little chippy. Sometimes you got a guy swinging helmets at the guys from the other team like we saw last year from Aaron Donald. Do smacking another guy on the helmet so hard that the helmet he was using as a weapon flattened like a pancake. 
Good Lord, he could have killed somebody with that helmet. So you want to set the uh, right tone. Set, say something nice about someone you're going to be whacking with his own helmet before too long. Great, I, great I strategy. Want- I like that. I, I, I like that, too. That's good social media. I, I once saw Aaron Donald rip somebody's face mask clean off in one fell swoop. It was uh, OTAs in 2016, and some no-name offensive lineman, I don't know, I apologize. I don't remember who you are, sir. But he stepped to Aaron Donald in, like, a team drill or something. Aaron Donald kind of looked at him, you know, did one of those where he's backing him up with the pads, you know, and then just swiped his face mask clean off and started hitting him over the head with it it was kind of hilarious but also one of those things where you're like oh damn i'm not messing with that guy it it is funny how aaron donald kind of has that nasty streak and generally nobody notices and nobody seems to care like he seems like a nice guy when you get him away from football so he gets a pass for some incredibly antisocial behavior that goes beyond all boundaries of what should be accepted on a football field, but nobody seems to be troubled by it because, hey, we like Aaron Donald, and he's a generational talent. He's one of the all-time greats. And also, we don't want him doing to us what we've seen him do to, to others on a practice field. And he, you know what? He rarely does it during a game, although there are some clips of some, some you know, Aaron Donald blowing a gasket during a game, but not like what we saw last year. Nothing close to what we saw last year in the joint practice with the Cincinnati Bengals. All right. A little what's more likely, speaking of the Lions and the Giants, which one is more likely to make the playoffs, Detroit or New York? Um, I would say Detroit simply because of the division that they play in, right? I mean, the Detroit Lions are the favorites uh, to win that division. If you look at the betting markets, Jared Goff, I think, has kind of done a good job of pumping the brakes on that a little bit where it's like, yeah, we may be the favorites for something, but what does that even mean? I mean, we did not make the playoffs last year that we went into the off season with good vibes, but what did we really do? But when you look at the giants, I mean, they've got to contend with Philadelphia and also Dallas. So whenever you're talking about two teams that you really do think are good and you think are going to make it out of that division at the top, that puts the odds less in your favor for you, you know, as a potential third place team to make the playoffs. So even though it's the NFC, I would say that the lions are more likely. The lions remind me of the Cardinals back in the days when you were in middle school, where every year there was a segment of the media. It was like, this is the year the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. Oh, they didn't. Okay. This is the year the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. Oh, they didn't. And then finally, after like five or six years of it, they, they did. The Lions have done nothing. The Lions have proven nothing. If I was a Lions fan, I'd be upset that there's all this attention and all this expectation on a team that hasn't done anything. What have we done to deserve all this? Yeah, it's great to have primetime games, but you've got primetime expectations now. You're expected. You're expected to be better than maybe you're ready to be. So we'll see. That defense is abysmal. The offense, year two with Ben Johnson, will it be better? Will it not be? Who knows? We'll find out. Defenses will be ready to do everything they can to shut down Jared Goff and company. Uh, But I still agree with you. The Lions are more likely to make the playoffs. I mean, (laughs) the Giants, we might see some regression this year, although they do have better weapons for Daniel Jones. But but yeah, it's it's going to be tougher for the Giants this year. And the Lions, I think, in a more wide open division, better chance to make it to the postseason. All right. The Raiders. Now, we talked earlier about the Texans being the one consensus team in the AFC that has no chance to make it to the playoffs. I don't know that there's another team that we would say this year 
with certainty. They have no chance. But if there was one, it would be the Raiders. They're the next team on the list of teams least likely to make the playoffs in the AFC. Max Crosby of the Raiders is not happy with the fact that the team does not make the playoffs. Here he is with his views on the struggles of the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, every single day I come in here, I think about winning. You know, I don't do this year round to come in and not make the playoffs. I'm sick of that shit and uh, I want to keep winning and I want to get back to the playoffs. I want to be in Cincinnati on the road, you know, in a hostile environment. That's why I play the game. That's why I work the way I work. Yeah, they were just in the playoffs a couple of years ago and gave the Bengals everything they could handle in that mm-hmm. wild card game. Remember the, the phantom call with the T Higgins touchdown and how mm-hmm. that kind of marred the game. And it wasn't at the very end. It was in the first half, but it just added to this sense that yeah, the Raiders may have gotten screwed there. So they're not that far removed from being a playoff team, but the problem is look around. I think Max Crosby understands where that team currently fits within the rest of the conference, the rest of the division and, uh, you know, it feels like they've taken a step back this year. I think that's where his frustration comes from, Miles. Oh, yeah, and I think that that makes sense. You know, but it, it's not like they were a perennial playoff team. You know, they've only been to the playoffs that one time in Max Crosby's career. He was a fifth round, excuse me, a fourth round pick um, in the 2019 draft. And basically was the guy that they drafted Cleveland Furl to be at four overall, but that's a different story when it comes to the John Gruden and Mike Mayock drafting record. But I think that what's good about Max Crosby is that he understands that he's got to set the tone for what that defense is and what the defense can be. They need some help around him. Like they've got to get guys going so that he's not the only one getting pressures because I know, and I don't mean to call out like people, but like, the analytics say that he is one of the best edge rushers in the league because he gets consistent pressure and pressure is great. And I'm not trying to say it's not, but when you get a sack, you then in the play, a pressure, somebody can still complete a pass. So that's one of the things where it's like with Max Crosby, you want him to get more sacks. They got to be better around him so that he can do that. That defense will be better. And perhaps then if all those things come together, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo will stay healthy and they'll be able to win games. I failed to point out that we had a what's more likely embedded in that what's more likely Raiders make oh. the playoffs or Max Crosby is the defensive player of the year. I feel like we're both leaning on the side of Crosby more, more likely to be the defensive player of the year just because the Raiders have a mm. very stiff uphill climb to make it to the postseason. All right, Joey yes. Bosa of the Chargers. Not happy that he has to eat a lot of food. Hey, Joey, I'll eat some of it for you. Uh, eating isn't really enjoyable these days. It's more so just part of the job. I tried to get really to eat really good and put some weight on this offseason, get back to my weight where I was a few years ago. He has eaten... 4,500 to 5,000 calories a day in an effort to do 4,500 calories by noon if I would decide to remove the restrictor plate. I can eat when I want to eat. And we're having family visit this weekend, and I'm already getting the stretchy pants out. We are going to eat this weekend. So I could get to the Joey Bosa weight pretty quickly, Miles. I don't know about you, but I know I could do it. Well, let's see. Then what's more likely? It says here's the Joey Bose leads the NFL in sacks or plays fewer than 10 games. And frankly, he's on kind of a pattern where it's one year he's injured. The other year he plays 16 games. One year he's injured. The other year he plays 16 games. This year in the pattern would be the 16 games. So I'll say that one. I think it's more likely he plays 16 games. And by the way, we introduced Miles yesterday to the great cafeteria scene from Animal House that culminated in 
John Belushi being accused of being a PIG pig before he imitated a zit. I don't think Miles had seen that before. He hadn't seen the movie. I don't think he appreciated the, the scene as much as the, the rest of us might. But that's okay. That's okay. It's all very subjective. We're going to take a break and wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after. All right, Miles, on the way out, plenty of preseason games this weekend. Give me one player you're excited to watch this weekend. Uh, let me say Bryce Young, right? Number one overall pick. I guess that's an easy one to say, but it's the first time we've ever be, we'll ever be able to see him on a, on a field and getting some passes. Let's see what he can do. I want to see what Baker Mayfield does against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin has made it clear that anyone who's healthy will be playing. Does Mayfield nail down the starting job? Ira Kaufman of JoeBucksFan.com reports that Mayfield is the guy. He could maybe blow it if he struggles, Miles, against the Steelers. I wouldn't be surprised if he does struggle, but we'll see. He knows a thing or two about playing the Steelers. He used to be with the Browns, Miles Browns. Great job, Miles. Have a great weekend. We'll see everybody on Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.